Also remember, this is an election year. Um, there's a potential for uncertainties uh, or surprises to kind of get keep the market um, choppy. We have a, a cycle composite that we put together, the one, four, 10-year cycle to sort of give us a roadmap for the year. And it suggests a, a fairly choppy uptrend. You have correction potential in May, September, October. But then after the election, there's pretty reliably a year-end rally. And over the course of the year, we see um, the market uh, uh, moving higher as it's already started to do um, up to this point of the year. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactive Brokers IBKR Podcasts. I'm Jose Torres, your senior economist, and I'm joined today by the Chief Global Investment Strategist at Ned Davis Research, Tim Hayes. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Our pleasure. So let's get straight into it with some with a global growth question. The World Bank predicts that global growth is projected to slow from 2.6% last year to 2.4% this year. How has that influenced your outlook for equities and bonds? Does developed or emerging markets outperform? Well, I think it will be a... Um a positive environment for both stocks and bonds in that the slowdown is enabling the central banks to um, cut rates and provide liquidity. Um, really, the question is more about the timing of that rather than whether it will happen. And you have to have enough of a slowdown to um, support that development. And bonds uh, will benefit as yields come down, but equities will tend to outperform bonds as they rally. So this is evident in our um, recommended allocation, which is 70% stocks, 30% bonds, and 0% cash. And that's based on a benchmark allocation of 55 stocks, um, 35% bonds, and um, 10% cash. So we, um, on the question of developed uh, versus emerging, um, we are overweight the US. We've been overweight the US um, which is about 64% of global market cap. Um, we've been overweight since July. And um, the developed markets in general would outperform uh, emerging markets inclusive of China. But if you exclude China, um, several you know, several emerging markets have been doing well and should continue to do so, such as India. And uh, they would be more likely to perform in line with um, the developed markets. In fact, we have a, if you look at China, at EMX China, it's been pretty much a market performer um, similar to the developed markets. Interesting, interesting. And uh, a key feature, you know, most of the developed markets are near all-time highs and China has been doing particularly bad from an equity standpoint and also from an economic standpoint. Um, so the next question is going to be on China. Uh, recently, the nation unveiled stimulus to help its sluggish economy. What are the potential consequences and or benefits of this stimulus for assets? Well, they done did a similar um, attempt to support equities in 2015, and it, it didn't uh, succeed. And uh, it's been limited so far. 
and that uh, we haven't seen the massive stimulus that would really turn around what has been uh, the problem with China, which has been a lack of uh, consumer and business confidence. Um, China has been reluctant to provide too much uh, stimulus because they don't they don't want to uh, create another bubble in property or um, in the market in general. So it had been limited, uh, but this is keeping uh, confidence very limited in, in, in that we don't have um, the, the foreign direct investment. We don't have, um, you know, there's a lot of worry about regulation, government control, um, worry that the market, you know, the, the idea that the market is uninvestable. So we're just not getting, um, we're just not getting the, the market anticipating that we're going to see a sustained uh, recovery in the Chinese economy. And until we start to see that, you know, it would probably be a, a market to uh, that will continue to underperform. Okay, and moving uh, across the Pacific Ocean to the United States here, stateside, uh, are you optimistic that U.S. earnings growth in 24 will gain roughly 10% like market participants are pricing? You know, some uh, headwinds are higher for longer Fed uh, and also global growth slowing down. Uh, how do you feel about earnings prospects? Well, earnings, um, you know, we've had this soft landing, which is pretty much the ideal situation. Inflation's under control, um, you know, despite the the little surprise we had earlier this week. The inflation trend is going in the right direction. At the same time, we're not going into a recession in the U.S. So, um, you know, this is really supportive of earnings continuing to come through. The beat rate right now is about Actually, 81% of stocks have been beating expectations, which is down from 83%, with about 62% of the companies reporting. So, you know, we the earnings seasons have been coming through pretty well. Um, the forward earnings, if you look at a year from now, it's like 11% earnings growth, um, similar to what you mentioned, and 10% trailing earnings. Um, you know, at this point of the cycle, are negative 3%. But the point is, they will. Uh, trailing earnings will start to follow the forward earnings, and um, so unless some, you know, major negative surprise is out there from a macro standpoint, which we don't see any signs of, well, then the earnings should come through, and I think 10% would be a you know, reasonable uh, expectation for the year. And moving uh, moving along to valuations, you know, the for forward earnings multiple is around 21 times here or an earnings yield of 4.8%, compared to risk-free fixed income alternatives that present more attractive yields of upwards of 5%, albeit without the potential for earnings growth, does valuation present downside risks? Um, not at this point. I think, you know, similar to what I mentioned earlier, if we have, um, you know, stocks and bonds both moving together on the upside, stocks are going to be outperforming bonds. And um, and then especially if the yields do in this phase of the um, monetary cycle and we do see yields continue to fall, will that benefit from bonds becomes less, you know, less decisive. But I think the 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 big point there is that the valuations in equities will be supportive as long as the earnings do come through. And um, it's when earnings growth starts to slow. And by that point in time, if we've had these earnings yields at, at these levels, then you have the potential for um, complacency and therefore uh, disappointment. And then 
you know, then the valuations would become a more of a problem for equities. But at this point, um, I don't think it's an immediate concern, but we do need to pay attention to it and, um, you know, see if we we're not at levels of valuation we'd had, you say, in 2021. But if we did, then that would start to become a, a concern. So, yes, something we should be watching. Uh, speaking of wild cards and potential headwinds, how are you thinking about geopolitical risks, including Hamas-Israel conflict, uh, the Red Sea disruptions that are going on, Ukraine-Russia? How is that influencing your outlook on the marketplace? Um, well, the way to look at that is is um, if it's, uh, if, for example, the Ukraine war, um, when that broke out, is heading into that even before it started, commodity prices were moving higher and it had an impact, uh, then that became the economic impact and that had an impact on, on commodities. But if it's more of a contained geopolitical crisis like the uh, Middle East is at this point, um, that doesn't necessarily have to have an impact uh, on the markets. It's when it has a bigger macro impact that it becomes more of a of an impact has more of an impact, and we find that what we call crisis events during a crisis event, um, the market tends to have an initial decline, but then a month later it's back where it was before the event started. I think we we should think about the potential for a major geopolitical event such as Taiwan and China getting into a conflict, which would then have much bigger economic implications which would be um, have a much bigger uh, market impact. But um, we don't have to have these geopolitical problems can be, as long as they're contained, uh, they may have a short-term impact, but they don't, unless it gets to the point of having that sort of, um, you know, major macro impact, uh, then it won't, it, the markets will be able to, to tolerate that. How are you assessing the impact of the record level of U.S. government debt? issuance and deficits, and the potential for future government debt issues in your outlook for bonds, particularly on, on the long end. Some folks are concerned that um, that's going to be structurally higher uh, in the medium term. I think that does put a floor certainly under yields, and, and uh, but I, I think it, you know, there was a lot of worry about that in, Octo in October, and, but then yields came back down. And I think that what we haven't seen is um, really the, the kind of inflation expectations that are needed to get bonds into a sustained uptrend. Um, but I would say the supply issue is providing a floor to yields, but um, we we don't think yields are moving into a long uptrend. As I mentioned earlier, if the economy is slowing, well, yields will probably uh, continue to recede as the, the Fed um, you know starts cutting rates more of a floor, more of a supply on the supply demand question. You have um, the supply supporting yields, but the, you don't have the demand to really, you know, produced by inflation expectations to launch a major uptrend in yields. Finally, our last question, what are possible headwinds and tailwinds in markets today? We spoke about a lot of them, but i um, curious as to um, what's top of mind for you. Well, tailwind would be liquidity that will start to improve as the Fed and other central banks start uh, cutting rates and you know moving from a tightening cycle to an easing cycle. That's the real tailwind here for the markets. You know, we talked a little bit about valuations. A headwind would be if 
the unit market's gotten too complacent and has priced in too much good news, and you start to get uh, more earnings disappointments, that would be a headwind. Also remember, this is an election year. Um, there's a potential for uncertainties uh, or surprises to kind of get keep the market um, choppy. We have a, a cycle composite that we put together, the one, four, and 10-year cycle to sort of give us a roadmap for the year, and it suggests a, a fairly choppy uptrend. You have correction potential in May, September, October, but then after the election, there's pretty reliably a year-end rally. And over the course of the year, we see um, the market uh, uh, moving higher as it's already started to do um, up to this point of the year. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one thing um, that I've been th thinking about are, are the pros and cons of the former president. Uh, you know, he's doing pretty decent in the polls, um, but in the short term, he presents some risks to markets perhaps via government shutdown, but in the more medium term, the uh, the market may benefit from a more deregulatory, lower corporate tax kind of regime. Um, that's something that we've been thinking about here as well. Uh, and then also on what you said about um, China and, and uh, Taiwan, um, some risks that come to mind there are, you know, semiconductors have been on a really um, fierce rally to the upside, you know, globally speaking, while China's equity markets have, you know, been in the basement. So sometimes I wonder if, you know, China is a little worried or jealous or concerned that they're not participating in that upside. And maybe that uh, lays a framework for, you know, a geopolitical event. Yeah, I think that's uh, something I've, I point out quite a bit is that if you look at these big tech stocks and you look at Alibaba and Tencent, uh, unlike the U.S.-based tech stocks that have really been driving the benchmarks higher, those stocks have been uh, weighing down the Chinese market. They haven't participated. So it's been sort of a regional, you know, the the, the impact, the sec they haven't benefited from um, what has really helped the U.S., which has been it's heavy weight in, in these big tech stocks. Yeah, and sometimes I think about, uh, you know, folks being scared of having their money parked east in China, um, you know, a government crackdown on capital controls or inability to get their cash out, you know, and, and that's really driven more upside in Japan and Europe and, and the US. And it will be interesting to see how that continues to evolve in the coming months and years. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, Tim, thanks a lot for participating here at Interactive Brokers Podcast. Check us out on your favorite channel for podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, all of the above. Thanks a lot for being here, Tim. Thank you, Jose. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. 
The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.